Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. Uh, it's our conversation that we love to have about food, passion, and making a difference in the world. And I'm joined today by my uh, frequent co-host, my sister, Debbie Shore. Welcome, Deb. Hi, it's been a while. So glad to be back. It has been a while, and we've got a guest that we're really excited about because Mavis J. Sanders uh, lives and works and breathes at the intersection of so many issues that our listeners care about, from culinary and food to food justice and equity, uh, LGBTQIA issues, just so many uh, issues in which Mavis J. is active on. We are thrilled to have you, Mavis J., and can't wait to talk to you about your career. Yeah, I'm super thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, I know, uh, Mavis J, that you started cooking. I've read a bunch of uh, articles and interviews. Uh, you started cooking at a very young age in a very large family uh, and ended up graduating, I think, Georgia S Southern University and going to the Culinary Institute of America, cooking at Blue Hill at Stone Barns and uh, Untitled at the Whitney. Just amazing, amazing uh, places where you've uh, honed your skills and you've influenced the larger culinary world. Tell us a little bit about where it all started for you. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much, that's my background. It definitely is um, all about um, the connection to my family. I actually started cooking to stay out of trouble. <laughs> um, and then just as a young kid. That like, sounds interesting. What kind of <laughs> It was like, it was just a way to like, like not get in trouble. Like if I was in the kitchen with my grandmother, then like if anybody was doing anything weird outside, I don't know, like lighting matches or <laughs> doing anything that might get us under any kind of punishment, um, I didn't have to worry about it. I would just stay in the kitchen. And, you know, sometimes people try to like wheel you into trouble. Um, and <laughs> I was just like, yo, I want to uh, steer clear of that as much as possible. And so I don't know if you guys ever have like grandmothers who bake cakes, but um, there's a thing of like when once your grandmother like puts a cake in the oven, you can't move in the house. Right. Because if you move, then that cake gonna fall. Right. <laughs> um, and then that's another way to get in trouble. And so. Um, and, and chef, when did it go from being uh, I'm cooking with my my grandmother um, to stay out of trouble to uh, maybe I should be at the Culinary Institute of America or Blue Hill at Stone Barns. Like when did the, the, the light bulb click for you that there was something else here in terms of potential? Um, so I took a college prep course uh, when I was in high school and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had one of those teachers who was just like, when was the happiest you've ever been? And at the time I was, my dad was in the military. So I was living in Italy. My entire high school career was in Italy and they uh, were like, when were you happiest? And I was, you know, a little homesick. And I was like, you know, when I was at home cooking with my grams. And so they were like, cool. Like, is there anything you could do with that? Is there, do you want to think about pursuing that? And it was around a time, uh, I'm going to say that was like early 2000. So 2005 or so 2003, um, when you, there was a culture shift where you started seeing a lot of news about people going into culinary arts professionally, um, with a higher esteem than what cooks had been thought of from before. Um, and it definitely piqued my interest. And so um, it shocked everybody, I think, in my my family. My parents were like, you don't cook nothing but tacos, taco salad. And I was like, it's the best at making cereal. Um, 
but at that point I was like, yeah, like this is what I think I can do. Um, and at that point I had had enough experience in it, um, as a young person that I was fairly fluid in the kitchen. Um, so like my first jobs that I ever pursued outside of high school were, um, all culinary were like culinary based. I know, I know you said savory and bitter, but how would you describe, describe your food a little bit in more detail? What are some of the, your major things that you prepare? Um, I was, I was just being silly and saying savory and bitter, um, just for me. Um, I am, uh, actually, um, for me, um, my food focuses on celebrating like black American stories. Um, I think a lot of people only think about our food in terms of like, oh, it's, you know, the staples of Southern cooking, but there's so much um, more to it and so much more about it that I think that people um, tend to overlook um, as like being like, oh, that's what is done at home or that's what you get like at a fast food or a chain restaurant. Um, my family, like my dad will tell, uh, a stories about how he never went to a grocery store because they lived out like in the country, um, they did it until he was like 16 years old, you know? Um, and what they ate was what was on the land and what they farmed and what they grew and like what their neighbors had. Um, and, um, which was also a very much like a vegetable focused situation, um, so I just kind of like listening to those stories. Um, he just went back to uh, the place where they grew up and um, which isn't too far from where they live nowadays. And was talking about how there are trees that are still bearing fruit, um, which was quite, quite remarkable because I feel like up here, everybody's like, oh, like apple trees have uh, like a 10 year life, you know, and you're talking about peach trees and plums and um pear trees that have been producing fruit for over 50 years. Um, And so I think it's quite remarkable. um, And all that like speaks to the stories that I try to tell on a plate. Um, It's just pretty much about whatever is happening in my life and how we celebrate, you know, around that and how we take care of each other. That's great. So you really drew on just a lot of these stories that you heard when you were just talking to your father about his, his life and, how they prepared meals. Really mm-hmm. interesting. You know, I love the idea of telling a story on a plate. Um, so how, how does that come across? So like, give us an example of a, of a story on a plate. It's such a, such a uh, powerful notion. For like, for me, I think one of the things that I've been, has been requested multiple times and has fared me for like, at least like a year now, I've been putting it up when I do um, pop-ups and, you know, uh, special events is like a collard green salad. It's a collard green salad, like raw collard greens with uh, roasted pecans, um, like either candied orange zest or kumquats, pickle red o- oranges. Um, I'll do like um, a squash, um, like a roasted uh, honey nut squash sauce with like fermented fish peppers and maybe um, some. Uh, fried pig ears. And I love that plate because um, it's collard greens, I feel like are like a staple across, you know, um, the any kind of like uh, diasporic diet, or especially like a black American diet. Um, I my family has pecan trees around our farm and in our yard. 
Um, the um, fish pepper is something that, you know, was... Fish pepper? Mm-hmm. What is that? Uh, <laughs> it's an actual pepper. Um, oh. It um, is something that I first learned about um, in, I want to say... Um, it was Michael Twitty's book, uh, The Cooking Gene. Um, and there's a lot of seed breeders who are out and about, you know, who are trying to bring back um, all um, these amazing veggies. There's, of course, there's people who are creating new things, but trying to recover um, things that have fallen. And um, the fish pepper is something that the story has started to kind of... Um, come back in like small sex. Um, it is, you know, has like a, a story of like being uh, brought over uh, along uh, like um, throughout the diaspora. Um, and um, just using that to like make like a, like a mash, like a hot sauce and then like letting it ferment and then using that as like a back layer of like flavor um, in different dishes is just fun to me because I think it's something that people aren't generally uh, familiar with. Yeah, that, that sounds great. I love learning about a new pepper, fish pepper. I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs> um, I was going to switch gears, if I may, for for a moment. I was listening to a conversation you had that you were moderating with our staff, May, one of our staff, Megan Cantrell. What? And Yeah. And, um, you know, I just love for you to talk to us a little bit about what we should be thinking about what we should know about um, with food security in the LBGTQIA community. And I guess just specifically, you know, what, what you see as the barriers for members of that community in terms of getting, getting food and nutrition. Specifically speaking to the youth, um, I guess not just the youth. I (laughs) work with um, a couple of nonprofits um, in this area. Um. I think any uh, demographic that tends to be othered, um, we're talking about there being like a lack of humanity and how people see them, um, how people see um, us and our worth, our value, and what we contribute to society. I think if you live on, a, if you're like myself and you're like a coastal baby and you like live on, um, live, you know, like straight on the East or West coast, you might have a little bit more freedom, but there still is a lot, uh, a lot of us, um, inside of the U S, uh, more towards, you know, the inland middle of the U S who don't have as much freedom and liberation and, um, are, you know, basically still fighting for basic human, human rights. I think a lot of times people think just because, you know, we now have, you know, or temporarily, as we know now, hopefully, um, we have, uh, you know, marriage rights that that means that every, all hatred or all discrimination is, uh, is, is solved. But the fact of the matter is there's still places, or a lot of places where um, it's difficult to get a job if you're an openly queer or trans person, identifying person. Um, if you can't get a job if you uh, can't find housing, if your family um, tends or if there's a, it kicks you out at a young age, you know, all those things become barriers to um, 
gainful employment into housing, you know, um, into building credit and your basic ability to feed yourself. And a lot of times when people are struggling, the first thing that they'll scrap is eating. But if you don't eat, then you can't think <laughs> like you can't create, you can't, you can't work, right. You're, you're actually, your body is going to like capacity is going to start to diminish. Um, and so how do we support people in making sure that they have, you know, thoughtfully prepared meals that are served with some kind of dignity? Um, queer and trans youth have some of the highest rates of dealing with, um, with, uh, with house, excuse me, um, with housing issues um, and tend to seek havens in places like New York City or big cities, like maybe like in Atlanta, um, San Francisco, places like that in the Bay Area. Um, and so I think it's super important that, you know, we have resources that are set up to um, support them when it comes to um, how they eat and like where they live. So, so Chef, th- this kind of co- this conversation really speaks to, you know, kind of almost like another pivot point that I'm really interested in. I was asking you, you know, like when you went from cooking with your grandmother to knowing you wanted to be a chef. And I'm also curious, uh, how did you evolve from a really great chef to uh, an activist on so many issues related to what we were just talking about, LGBTQ, uh, to food justice issues, to the notion of um, changing the way people of color have access to food, which I've, I've heard you talk about. Um, not all chefs, many chefs are activists today, but uh, still most aren't. How did, how did it come to you that this could be part of your professional career and the voice and the platform that you've created through your success could be leveraged in such a way? Um, thank you for that question. So in my, in my experience, um, I think that there, I don't cook with my ego. Um, I really do cook with care. Um, for me, I really do believe that, you know, um, food serving people is an act of, of care. It's not about me wanting somebody to love me. It's about me wanting to love somebody. And that's just going to happen through, that's an intrinsic value of myself. I don't need to be on a platform to be admired or worshipped or whatever. And, and that doesn't influence how I move throughout the world. Um, so um, that's, I don't know, like for me, food is like when... I've said this before, you know, when you come into the world, one of the first things that you ever have happens is somebody feeds you and somebody holds you. Right. And at the end of the day, when you're going out, hopefully that's still the same. And those are like basic human rights. Right. Um, Those are the things that we need in order to be able to um, feel secure and feel uh, like we are taken care of. Right. Those are the two like if you look at the hierarchy of needs, right? It's security and be able to eat. Um, so you know, with that being like core values, I went into fine dining because I was like, I just want to be really great. I want to be a really great chef. And then uh, I got the access to the most amazing foods and all this knowledge and wanted to uh, be able to share that with the people that were in my life. And 
people from my family and the majority of my family can't afford to eat those things. And that really started to rip away at me. Um, when uh, Eric Garner got murdered and there were protests in the streets, I was working in a fine dining re restaurant and it was really bothering me because I would leave the restaurant that was like a sub, you know, uh, ground level restaurant and like walk out into the streets and there would be people like li literally screaming in the, sh in the street that they can't breathe. Like I can't breathe, like chanting it. And then, you know, you go into the restaurant and there's people who are spending rent money on wine and the two, like I couldn't straddle that fence anymore that I couldn't, um, be in a place where these issues didn't matter um, to the people who were making the food. Um, so I don't want, I don't ever want to approach food and it, and it be about uh, just being artsy. Like, yeah, I want things to be beautiful and I do love a little razzle dazzle, but I also want to make sure that the people who are eating it um, feel cared for. Um, I want to make sure that every single person that I come in contact with has the ability to eat that I used to own a food truck and we were trying to keep, make sure that we did all the best we could with the food. And then also, um, kept our prices like fairly low at, you know, you could get a good plate at $10. Um, if somebody came up to us and didn't have the 10, we were still going to feed them. And I want to make sure that if there's anything that I'm doing, that that's always a part of it, right? That if somebody comes up to me and is like, I need to be able to eat, like I am hungry, I, I just as the human in me looks at that person and goes, how can we get you fed? Uh, I, I have a question. I was um, listening to your a video, and I think it was when you won a James Beard Award, but you said something that I loved. You said, this seems impossible, which means it's totally attainable, so let's do it. And I just, I love that. And I was, it made me wonder, were you talking about something specific that, or was it just like how you approach life in general? Um, it, it's honestly how I <laughs> approach life okay. in general. Yeah. It's kind of like this thing of like, no matter what, like every, we've already won. We've already done it like over and over again. Every single day that you show up, you have like completed some task. You have gone ahead and made made it through some feet to even get there in the first place. There has been plenty of times where every single one of us has thought like, I can't do this anymore. Like I am struggling. Like I don't have it in me. And every single time we've like made it through. If you're still here, you've made it through. So let's like, let's just keep going. Right. There's something on the other side of this. There's something on the other side of the struggle. And I, through my life experience, I know I'm not the oldest person in the world, but <laughs> through my ex life experience, um, like it all seems like it can be worked out, but we just have to want to work it out and like keep with the same values, um, of just making sure that none of us. It's a good attitude. Attitude. Yeah. It's a good attitude. It's a winning attitude. That's for sure. Thanks. So, uh, so chef, is it, um, uh, I'm assuming like most of us look to work with people that share our values and it's not always, they don't always share them equally. They've got other things and priorities in their lives and, um, and, you know, you look for kind of some common ground. Uh, is that something you do? Is it hard to work with people who don't share your values? Are you able to? How do you, uh, how do you I guess, bridge the gap sometimes between the very high standards uh, that you set and the very strong um, 
values that you advocate uh, and others who may be perfectly good people, but don't uh, think of themselves in, in such a role? Um, I think if I can address this one thing that you said, which um, it's just like good people, right? I don't believe that there are people like people who are good and bad, right? Like as long as we continue to like fall upon this, like, uh, like, you know, uh, Batman or I don't know, the penguin mentality, then like it's there that, that lies that judgment of who deserves what. And like, we're all humans. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody's done something weird. We're all the villain in somebody else's story um, and the hero of our own. <laughs> so I like, I, it's not my job to judge what people deserve, like, or what they don't deserve or what, what they deserve to have withheld. Right. Um, I just want everybody to have the best in what they want and to be comfortable, uh, to be able to live comfortably. Um, so uh, for me, if I am at a position in my life at this point when it comes to working that I don't have to work with anybody who doesn't share the same values, it's actually compromising me and stopping me from being able to like make the leaps that I need to make. Anybody who like doesn't understand what I'm doing, that's fine. That's cool. I need you to step aside and not understand over there because I got a mission. I got people to serve. <laughs> <laughs> and like goals to accomplish and like I don't I can't I don't have time for naysayers I don't like I am open to understanding like what I don't know or like learning different points of view and it's super important so I can know how to navigate um, but that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean change what my goals are I only keep people around me who understand um, and like love wholeheartedly like I only keep people around me who I can love unconditionally and who will love me unconditionally um, and can receive love un unconditionally. Um, so that like, that is the spirit in all of our spaces. Uh, I I'm going to have to try this idea of saying step aside and not understand over there. I, <laughs> I like that <laughs> a lot. Um, chef, you know, for, uh, the, for the many who are not, um, chefs, uh, but love good food and love the nurture and the nourishment that it that represents, the love that goes into it. Uh, any thoughts on how others um, who are not in the position you were in, but those who just enjoy your cooking, how can they make a difference? What kind of choices can, uh, can the average person make? What kind of actions can the average person take uh, that really make the part of the world that you, you care about better? How... Um, to be actionable in this, um, when I, this year recently won my very first James Beard Award, um, I, uh, got on stage and I was, uh, I had been asking a mentor, like what I should say when I got on stage and what I should be about. And they were like, you know, um, like I didn't just want to be like, thank you. Thank you everybody and get off. And, um, it's always difficult to like give people like actionable, everybody's life is different, like actual steps. Like how do you make a difference? Um, and I don't want to give a different, like a uh, generic statement that's just like, Oh, buy differently or like um, try to think of, or like uh, 
I don't know, like just shop, you know, at local places because that's not always easy for everyone. I think it's about looking at your our own individual lives and spaces. For me, the biggest thing that I say is that I um, every day I try to get up and be a blessing. Right. So if I'm going to be a blessing, then that means I am going to go out to the world and I am going to actively try to um, make something better. Right. I'm going to offer something to someone or something in order to improve the state of the world. Right. Um, If that's true, then I have to stop and analyze how I am harmful in the world and how my actions and what I'm doing can be seen as harmful. Um, And just like choosing that point of view kind of just realigns like how you are working in like in your day to day, right? So if that is, you know, for you, if you're a commuter and that means that you're gonna commit to, you know, uh, always letting on Tuesdays, always letting somebody cut in front of you, you know, or without like any hostility. Or if that means that uh, when it comes to uh, restaurants, you're always going to like tip 25% no matter what, you know, the service is. If that means that you are going to um, ask restaurants, not just about, you know, the farmers and the wine, but how they are paying their back a house, you know, um, going out of the way to um, not go to the farmer's market that is next door to you, but maybe um, one that's a little further out because there are, you know, smaller farmers who can't make it into the city, um, who, don't have logistics set up and you can order like CSAs from them or whatever else that is. There's, um, and just like setting that up into your daily routine really does over time make a huge difference. Um, and just keeping that mentality of like, how can I, what is it? How can I like show up and be a blessing today? That's a lot of ways. Thank you. (laughs) There are a lot of good examples. Our, our time is going fast, maybe, Jay, but I have three, uh, I was going to say three quick things. They may, they may not be quick, but you can make them quick if you need to, uh, that I wanted to ask you about. One has to do with um, just the, the, the very term food justice. It means different things to different folks. We've talked about it a little bit. I wanted to ask you to just define it as specifically as, as you can, what you mean when you think of food justice. Um, when I think of food justice, I think of making sure that there's equitable standards and sustainability built in throughout the entire uh, chain of how food comes from, um, how the land is being treated, how the workers are being treated on that land, to how it's being transported in between and how those people are being treated, to how... (laughs) um, you know, the people who are preparing it are being treated um, and who has access to that food um, all the way down the line, making sure that everyone is being um, paid fair wages, making sure that everyone is um, has good working environments um, and making sure that the land itself is being treated well. And if all those things are happening, we'll have really amazing 
like food ingredients that are produced. And if those go into the right hands of people who really care about those ingredients and care about who it's going to, um, then I like I feel like that in itself um, is like how we get to the point of food justice. That would be a that that would be the world we want to live in, wouldn't it? I'm a dreamer. I'm a romantic. I know. I like it. I am too. I am too. And that, that's, that's, that's where change begins. Uh, the, the second thing I wanted to ask you was uh, what, what's, what's next for you? What's around the corner? What's uh, the next uh, adventure that you're steering towards? So I am, am uh, uh, out and about on many streets. I have pop-ups going. I do a lot of farm dinners um, and you can always uh, follow me um, on my website or on my IG at Chef Mavis J and um, I'll post about, you know, events I have coming up. Um, I um, have a family farm and um, it's 96 acres. It's a heritage farm. So it's been in my family since um, in Georgia in since the time of enslavement and um that is my own personal birthright and something that I, you know, am expected to and willingly uh, go back and uh, start to be a steward of that land. Um, so everything at this point is going to be about transitioning me to doing that and uh, creating a space where um, young, like cross-generational um, like stewards of the land and of the food um, you know, uh, black and indigenous people of color can come and safely learn about, um, farming, about agriculture, and hopefully be able to be stewards of that land in some way that starts to change how people of color have access to food. And then just the last thing is what do, my sister Debbie and I have to do to get you to come to DC and at some point talk to our whole staff. I think people would just be riveted to hear you. And uh, I would love for you to, to meet them. We've got a staff of, as I think Debbie mentioned right before we started recording of about 250, almost 300 strong. Um, and we, and I don't know if you come through DC, but if not, we got to, we got to find a way to get you there. Uh, I am, uh, I have a car. I've got Amtrak. I think Delta flies down to DC. Um, we got options. Um, we gotta do it. I would love to, um, I would be honored. Yeah, for sure. I would love to curate a conversation around that. Yeah, it'd be fun. We've been talking to Mavis J. Sanders. Thank you so much, Mavis J., uh, with my sister, Debbie Shore, and on behalf of our entire team at uh, Share Our Strength and our producers at District Productive, thanks so much for listening to Add Passion and Stir. I'm Billy Shore. Mm-hmm.